Hey, this is the coach, Brendan Sir, with another edition of our podcast. And I'll tell you today, uh, you know, as we were going through some things and uh, we were figuring out some different angles to go to, we have a lot of folks that we're going to bring to you in the next several weeks. And all of a sudden, I had a feeling about one of my really dear friends in the business is someone so important on the men's side of the game in the high school level, Paul Biancardi for ESPN, who does all the high school recruiting things. And I want him to share with our high school and our college coaches from his perspective, some of his thoughts about what he looks for in a player at the high school level, how much work goes into it and the different things skill wise and trait wise that he looks for. I think you're going to find it very compelling, very interesting with Paul Biancardi. Pass Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast Model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access... To these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. I promised you folks uh, that our guest today was going to be someone that's very special. And as I mentioned in our preview into this, uh, Paul Biancardi is someone that has been friends with me for 25 plus years. But more importantly, a tremendous basketball coach that now is on... Uh, a mission which I think is so cool to help young people really find their way to the right college. And then eventually they're going to find their way, if they're good enough, to the pros. Paul, welcome, my friend. Brendan, thanks so much. This is really a, a privilege and a, and a pleasure. You know, you and I, we, you've been a huge fan for the last 10 years of uh of uh, coaching you and have been very, very helpful, you know, in what we've been doing. And, uh, but one of the things that as a, as a coach, you, I think, as opposed to some of your peers, and I say that, that are in the scouting business, uh, I think there's a huge advantage having been a coach in that, you know, what translates and what's important, not just the eye test of you jump out of the gym, you got X number of vertical and stuff like that. So when you're going around and watching kids from very early age up to their senior year of high school, give us and, and our listeners who are mostly high school, college, and pro coaches, uh, what, what are the things that you're zeroing in on in your staff at ESPN? Well, there are a bunch of things, and, and you're right. It does help when you've coached the game. You can see the game through the eyes of a coach. So I had an idea coming into this job, you know, what to look for in talent because I was once on the other side recruiting these kids sure. for a long time. So it, it gave me a good perspective, and it gave me a, a good eye for talent. I mean, what a lot of things we look for. Um, first of all, you, you look at athleticism. You look at physical tools. You look at the measurables because that, that – plugs into any sport uh and in particular in basketball uh skill skill level looking at that all the time you know the ability to make shots uh the the ability to handle the basketball you know the the vision one has and the the ability to make passes and see the game i think is crucial and um and then you know outside of the athleticism outside of the skills for me, I'm looking at basketball IQ. I'm trying to watch guys that actually not 
just running up and down, but know mm-hmm. what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I think basketball IQ, as, as I'm sure you do, uh, think it's really important, especially if, you know, if you're going to take that next step and move up to that next level from high school to college, you can't just play the game. You have to, you know, learn the game. And then, you know, when we get outside of the athleticism, the skill level, and the basketball IQ, then for me, Brendan, it becomes a lot of traits. I really hone in on the traits of these guys. And what I can't see with, with the eye, then I try to dig out from the coaches that, that coach these kids. So, you know, I'm looking at everything from preparation to uh, teachability to passion, um, just just different things that makes a kid separate himself on the court. You know, the attitude, the, the body language, things I can see when they come in and out of a game, how they interact with their teammates, their interaction with the officials. I look for respect. So I'm kind of checking off a, a big list of traits uh, with each kid and, and trying to plug those traits then into the athleticism skill and the basketball IQ and then, then form an evaluation. You know, when I was um, in the NBA and, uh, you know, when I'm running front offices and stuff, you know, we're all uh, – talent was to – you know, the price of admission, obviously, as you mentioned. But then the other intangibles as intangibles were the difference makers. And the, the thing that I felt in the pros is we, we got very seduced by talent. And it happens in the NFL all the time. And we both know as coaches the difference sometimes in the player that really makes your team click are the guys with high character. And that's the hardest thing, for I think, for people to evaluate. Uh, I think that's why colleges make huge mistakes because they don't have enough contacts, enough relationships with guys to make that. And then from you, with your ability to, even though you get much closer to the kids, you know, you don't get to know them like you're coaching them on a team to understand the kid's character and you, and I know you believe in character. How do how do we overcome that? You got to dig deeper. You mm-hmm. you really got to spend the time. As when you were in the front office in the NBA, you you had your scouts, and you have to spend time on the character questions. I I think you got to ask hard questions early, so you don't have to answer hard questions later mm. uh, in the process. And um, you know, in in my position. It, it, I get so many phone calls from NBA scouts, assistant GMs, and I get GM calls. And very little of it is basketball. Mm -hmm. The the first question will be, well, why do you have him ranked at number 10 basketball-wise? Okay, now tell me about him as his character. How does he warm up? You know, what's his effort like during the game? You know, what's his ability to be – what do you see from him as being a good teammate? What do you know about him in the locker room? And on and on and on about mm-hmm. the character, about the traits, because that's what really makes the person, the player that he is, in my opinion. So at my level, I try to dig as deep as I can into it, and I'll share that information with coaches that ask for it. And the good good scouts, the good evaluators will dig deep into that and, I believe, take the time to find out more about the player as a person. Why did ESPN get into this business? To make money. Does <laughs> everybody get into yeah. business? No. No, I, I don't know. I, you know. I was coaching with Rick Majerus yep. um, when this job uh, became available. The year before that, I was out of coaching, and they, they actually started uh, uh, what they called Scouts, Inc. They yeah. started it on the football side, and there was a gentleman who came up with the concept of let's give the public all the scouting information about the great, the great players in, in the game high school, going to college, what makes them so good, what do they need to work on, and what's their bottom line, what's their projection, what's their potential, and how do they fit into the schemes that they're going to in in the college game. And it became a big deal on the football side, so they they just mimicked it on the basketball side. They actually started it, uh, John Carroll uh, was in the position I was in, uh, Uh the former uh, coach of the Celtics and longtime NBA uh, scout. He actually had the position before I did um, because they wanted someone with head coaching experience that could evaluate and, and grade and rank players and be able to plug them into the different styles of play of each school that kids commit to. 
that was the premise and, and really the uh, model just took off. It, it became such a popular thing uh, and they put it online so so readers and people could view it and subscribe to it. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal and and uh, you know and when something's good then other people you know copy it you know other you know yeah. you know and stuff like that when we go I, I see you every june for a week at a top 100 camp which i've been fortunate enough to run the nba coaches part of it uh teaching nba players how to coach and uh <laughs> we invite you guys in to evaluate uh how many yes. how many of your quota i'm going to use this term how many of your peers are people that do like type positions uh, are there roughly for the, I think this is important for the listeners to understand. We have a hundred invited players, no college coaches are allowed. Uh, but how many of your people that do what you guys do are there roughly? You know, the number, I don't know, but I know it's packed with scouts. Yes. And when I say scouts, I mean the internet reporters yep. who talk about players and what schools they're looking at. Uh, they do uh, player interviews, uh, some will do analysis of games, or some will uh, report their their points, rebounds, and assists. So there is, I would say, close to you know somewhere between maybe fifty and a hundred that come in over a three or four day period uh, that have a chance to watch these players play and and the media sessions in between the games. Um, I, I don't even have a chance to go back there because they start this as you know the next set of games immediately yeah. after the first set of games. So if you go back to interview a player, you'll, you'll miss the next set of games. But it, it's huge with, with the uh, the attention the media gives the NBA players camp. Yeah, and so what we've tried to do um, we, to help, uh, we have 24 NBA players now that come in that someday would like to coach. And so we put them through five days of training, uh, you know, five hours a day in the classroom, as well as then they – get to put their team through a practice uh, every morning. Uh, they put them through a 45-minute pro skill sessions, you know, player development session, and then they get to coach them in two games. And it's an invaluable opportunity for them to, uh, you know, learn how to coach because not only are they coaching young people, they're coaching arguably the best of the high school kids in the country. So that, you know, to work with gifted players is is kind of like working with NBA players. It's a, it's a great opportunity, and it's easier to uh, see results in the things you're trying to teach. Uh, we have some – and the insight that I get from those guys about the players, it's off the charts because they're so young that they know if a kid's got a bad attitude, they know if a guy – doesn't want to play D, won't listen, not coachable, all those things, all those traits that you were talking about, Paul. It's it's so funny. I had a, a saying that I got really from Chuck Daly was, uh, you never know a player till you coach him. And it's really a good one, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, Because, you know, the guy, when you play against him, he might score 25 and you think he's the greatest, and then all of a sudden a week later they're offering him to you in a trade. And you say, why would you ever trade that guy? He's great. Well, he's a pain in the ass. That's why you're trading him. You know, and so, so these guys, they come out with really profound things about the way these kids are that are coaching them. And imagine if you're a pain in the ass to an NBA player that's trying to help you uh, to be have a good week. <laughs> and that tells us a bunch right there. But uh, how helpful is it to see all those players, let's say, uh, basically in one environment for a few days? I, it, it, it's great. And just to touch upon your last comment, uh, when I was finishing this year in April, we had the McDonald's game practices, yeah. the Jordan brand classic, the practices, and then the Nike hoop summit and the practices Phenomenal. and the NBA scouts could be there. Sure. And they could be there for practices and games. Yep. And the one thing that bothered me about this year's class, and it may be just this generation is that you have NBA decision makers on the sideline or guys that have NBA suggestive power, uh, and, and certainly guys that have suggestions in, in the war room. And I just didn't see this class, and that maybe it's just this generation as well, really give it their all, all wow. the time. They did, did it in spurts, um, but they didn't go all out all the time in all the practices and all the games. Now, I understand it's an all-star game, 
But as you know, once that referee goes to the center circle and throws it up, you have to have that competitive switch. And we talked about traits. I don't feel like this class of the 2018 and also maybe this generation is as competitive as years past. Interesting. It's one, it's one thing when there's nobody in the gym. And there's one thing when maybe nobody's watching. But you and I know the truly passionate people don't care who's in the gym. They play the same way all the time. That kids just wouldn't play harder. They wouldn't play with more enthusiasm. They wouldn't play with more effort. They wouldn't give more energy until they just were exhausted and they had to drop. It's almost like they paced themselves. And whatever the results are, uh, today's generation, some of the kids, not all of them, but maybe more than some, my feeling is it's, oh, well, we didn't win. Well, you know, when you coached the Pistons, it wasn't, oh, well, we didn't win. I mean, when you guys didn't win a game, when you coached with the Pistons. Absolutely. I mean, it was a very serious and an important thing, whether you won or you lost. And that competitive spirit is gone, partly uh, I believe because the pickup games are gone. There's no more pickup games. I, I was just that. going to ask you why. Go ahead. I, I just, the pickup games. I mean, ah. when you go to any Outdoor court explain in America. To, explain I've been to in New York explain, City uh, 10 know, times in yeah. the last two years. You go to a pickup court, there's nobody there. When I grew up and I played, I played for Tom Thibodeau. Yep. There's not many more competitive than Tibbs. Um, but when I grew up, I played outdoors. When you play outdoors, you got the sun shining in your face. You got the, the cement on, on your feet. And if you didn't win that game, there was a new group coming in and you had to sit. Winners stayed, losers sat. Right. And nobody wanted to sit. In fact, it was so competitive that if you took a bad shot on game shot, you'd get yelled at by your own team. Yes. So today, instead of pickup games, we have showcases. We play in air-conditioned gyms. We have two games, maybe four games in a day. It's paid for. We have officials. Pickup <laughs> games, you call your own fouls. Right. <laughs> so no, there's a lot of reasons. That's just one of them. But the competitive juices of today's player – I don't see as many competitors, and I think because everything is indoors, everything is organized, um, everything is officiated, that competitive spirit of the pickup game, um, I thought brought passion and energy to, to the high school game and to the college game and then to the pro game. That element's gone. Not, uh, not to go into yesteryear, but um, you know, I was the first uh, set of campers ever at Five Star, and Back then, of course, in you know, you're a decade later or so. But you know, when when uh, we had there were there was no AAU basketball. It was summer leagues in your area. If you grew up in Boston, you played in the summer league in Boston. If you grew up in Jersey, where I grew up, you know, you played in the summer leagues there, and that was with your high school team, not on an all star team, with no travel team, with a high school team. And then when we went to camp. You know, whichever camp you got to go to, that was when you got recruited, whether it be Five Star or BC or whatever camp you went to. And you got to, people got to see you there. Now, with the AAU thing, now you see how many how many games <laughs> in a year? How, give me a ballpark. I couldn't even. I, 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 in I the thousands. Between high school and. Yes. Yeah. Between high school and AAU and watching games on film now. Uh, when I don't travel, I would have to say over the course of the year, at least a thousand. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've never had the pleasure, and I say that, to get to Peach Jam for various reasons. Okay. So I hear it's one of the great run events in the country. And, uh, but, and that's just one tournament. But you get to go to these tournaments, and, and that's a highly competitive one. But I, I used to go to, the AU tournament down in Orlando when I lived down there and I would watch those games for a week and I would just see these kids playing two, three, four games a day. And when they lose, it was like nothing. When we lost as kids, we were heartbroken. They're like, heartbroken. They're, you know, yeah. where are we going to eat? And let's, let's, they bounce back there. So, but does losing not mean as much to them since they play 70 games in a summer? I don't think it does. Now, there's a flip side to that, too. I, I will say this. I think it's when I coached at Boston College um, with Jimmy O'Brien, yep. we had uh, um, 
Billy Curley and Howard Isley, two guys that you know Very well. were in the NBA. Howard was in the NBA for 15 years as, as the, the main backup to John Stockton. Billy a short time with the Pistons. But those guys took losing so hard mm-hmm. that they couldn't flush it out of their system the next day. And even sometimes it carried over into the next game, which isn't good, as we know. We talk about next play, next game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we certainly have a generation of, of, of next. <laughs> These guys, <laughs> they forget losing uh, like that day. A little quick for me, I'd, I'd like to see the kids just stew on it a little bit and feel it uh, that day and that night and then wake up refreshed, ready to go and flushed out of their system. So in, in some respects, it's good that they can put it behind them, uh, but in other respects – when the game is over, it's like, what time are we eating? Uh, when am I getting a new pair of shoes? And, um, and when that game's over, where are we going out after the game? So it, it, it's the it, opposite it, of the pickup mentality. It's too much of a mentality. social yeah. issue. It's the opposite of that pickup game mentality right now, right? It is. Yeah. It is. And, and it's not their fault because no. the society has went to, you know, look, AAU basketball is a good thing because it has kids compete and it has kids travel. Right, the, and gives the kids opportunities gets kids to play from yeah. the East Coast, you know, to the Midwest, to the South, cross mm-hmm. country. You get to see your peers, uh, you get to see how you fit in your talent level, and you get a chance to bond with your teammates. It, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Problem with AAU basketball is there there are so many games. There's really no meaning unless you're in the EYBL, which they put up that great league, and now Under Armour and, and Adidas has followed suit, where they have a league and every game counts and they play for a championship, mm-hmm. uh, but there's a lot of events where there's no ch- champions and there's nothing to play for. And so now you've got to find out who has the internal motor. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. College basketball, Condoleezza Rice uh, came out you know, recently with their, uh, what did they call it? commission's findings on... Uh, what's wrong with college basketball, uh, which you take to heart very seriously. Um, very anti-one-and-done. Give me some of your honest reactions to any of that, or how do you think it will impact the game? Well, I mean, there were a lot of things in that report that came out. Um, they didn't address the biggest issue that everyone's talking about, which is how the players, or if the players are going to get compensated. I mean, that, that's been an issue that's been talked about, I think, for at least the last five years. I, think I know that, my colleague. Yeah I, think our, who, yeah, I think our friend Jay Billis is the commissioner. Jay Billis, yeah. who, who is, <laughs> you know, the absolute best college analyst in the game with, yeah. with due respect to everybody out there. Sure. Um, I, I love his thoughts. I love his views. Um, you know, and when, when him and I talk, I don't always agree with him or I didn't always agree with him, but I really – opened up myself to some of his progressive thinking. And, and when you see the way things are really go happening in terms of, look, basketball, college basketball, we always knew and now we know it's a business. Uh, but now that business is getting exposed with all the money that's being mm-hmm. changed between uh, vendors and, and seat licenses and universities and, and sneaker companies. So there's a ton of money out there. And the people that are basically earning the money are not getting compensated. So I don't have the answer to that, uh, but that's one issue that the Rice Report really didn't uh, 
address. They didn't go. They didn't, I don't think they even. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't look like they even tried to, right? No, and I don't think they could in in in, in a six month period. It's, it's really hard to yeah. to figure that out. Should they get paid? I think the the question that comes down to whether or not they should, and then how do you divvy up all the money? Uh, between the revenue sports of football and basketball, and then you have non-revenue sports. Uh-huh. Um, the, does somebody who plays five minutes a game get the same as somebody who averages 25 a game? Uh, there's, there's, there's millions of questions yes. uh, that have to be answered. But first, there has to be an acknowledgement that there should be com- uh, compensation, and I did not hear that. Right. Um, but there were some nice things that came out, uh, you know, allowing um, – the kids to go back and get their degree in the school to pay for it. That that's nice, but that wasn't what the commission was put together for. It was to get, you know, to dig up the bones out of the grave and try to find out what the real problems are and how they could be fixed. And, you know, I'm just not sure that there were any really solid solutions to the real problems. And the commission was formed why? Based on what to, what event? To, from my understanding was to help address the problems in the game and come up with suggestions. They were merely a suggestive body uh, to give to the uh, the board of directors, which are the, the, the presidents, and to uh, give suggestions on what rules should be then implemented in college sports. But and, imp- and implemented. So they were a suggestive body, in my opinion. Yeah, but implemented because really of the FBI probe and arrest. Yes, of right? course. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Because of the circumstances that came out with uh, assistant coaches taking – Allegedly taking money yep. and, and from agents or agents, uh, middlemen, and then pushing players to those agents. The sneaker company allegedly paying a family uh, to go to a certain school that that uh, sneaker company represents. All, all the real sure. underbelly things that go on, uh, under the table things that go on in college sports and basketball. That's why the Rice Commission was put together. That was my impression. I agree. I totally agree. Feelings about the one and done, they seemed very anti that a, a young man like I had Ben Simmons, of course, at LSU, uh, that one year of a young man, uh, you know, at college or the kid Bagley at Duke this year Duke. was not helpful for a kid like that. Your thoughts? I think any any preparation they get before they go into the NBA is good preparation. Um, now, is it good for the college game? I think it's great for the college game because what would college basketball have been like um, without Ben Simmons? I mean, I know LSU uh, didn't get to the tournament like they wanted to, and sure. I know you you were on that uh, staff, but I was I did a bad job coaching. That's all it was. No, 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 no. It's just that you know Ben Simmons was a freshman, just like he's, he's yeah. a rookie right now. It's just like he had no points the other night. Yeah, it's not the coaching. It's we talked about this before we came on air is that there's a learning curve to everything. So my goodness gracious, going from the high school to the NBA, it's an enormous learning curve. The best of the best did it with Kobe and, and, and um, LeBron. And I had a chance to watch LeBron in high school. I was at Ohio state back then. Mm-hmm. And, and still they didn't make their mark in the NBA for what, two, three years before they really made a mark. Absolutely. And how long it took. Yep. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy that kids have the opportunity for that employment and, and have a chance to make that money and, and be a professional out of high school. Absolutely happy for any high school kid that can do that. Um, I, I did like them in the college game. I understand people said it was a facade. It was 12, you know, 12 credits they took first semester and second semester. They really didn't go to college that much. Some did, some didn't. You know, it wasn't like they all just blew off school. Some right. kids actually went to class. Um, how do you monitor it? How do you control it? It's hard because th- there's no carrot for them after the first semester. But, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm really happy that kids are going to be allowed to go from high school uh, to the NBA draft. And then the other ones can go into college and they can leave after a year, but at least they'll have some, some better understanding of where they fit into the NBA scheme uh, after a year or two in college. And And I think that, for college coaches, coaches, it's good. They don't have to spend their time recruiting guys that are going to leave after one year. doesn't mean the guys they get won't leave. But the guys they get now, Brendan, I don't think they'll be one-and-done material as mm-hmm. much as you know the guys like a Ben Simmons would come in. You knew he was gone. Yeah. 
Oh, and, and did not need it to start with, but that's what the rules required. Now, the colleges, the Rice Commission has said that they, you know, they they want those kids to go from high school. One little major problem is the NBA hasn't okayed that. So the NBA, <laughs> the, so the NBA is saying, yeah, good, fine, except you know we're not taking you still. So now you've said you don't want these kids, but now where are they going? Because they can't go anywhere. So they have, and we have a union, and so this has all been collectively bargained, and you know. And I consult with the Players Association. So we're a couple of years away right now from it. Uh, but the NBA says we were, we were going to let you do what you want to do uh, first. And they've taken their stand. And now I think we, I anxiously look forward to what the NBA is going to do. And then all of a sudden there'll be another uproar because they'll say, oh, they've ruined the college game because... Now they've developed their own system to how to handle these young people, which won't be coming into the NBA, which will be a feeder system to figure it out. But uh, And they're going to get very involved in youth basketball. Um, you know, at, at the Top 100 camp, you're going to see it filled with NBA personnel. We're welcoming them all in there now. And uh, NBA coaches, NBA GMs, uh, scouts, etc., they're all going to be there. And I think it's going to make for a fabulous camp because now these kids are going to be, they better play every, every second of the day, which is great. Uh, practice, skill development, and games. So from an evaluation standpoint, fabulous. And, uh, you know, and so it's going to be an interesting time, I think, in high school basketball, but also in the evolution of how we decide best to train these guys. If colleges say we don't want to do this make-believe stuff, I think the NBA is willing to start their own academies and as they're doing on yes. a worldwide basis yep. and now doing them in the States and then having their own development program to bring them in. But I don't think, except for the very, very gifted, we're going to see those guys come into the league right away. Uh, in, in the next two years, I don't believe that we're going to see that. So it's going to be fascinating for me to watch too, as it is for you. Oh. Yes, and we also have the G League. I mean, guys, are, as we had Darius Baisley in the class of 2018, right? He decided not to go to college, and he, he's going to be drafted in the G League. Mm -hmm. And he wants his path to be to the NBA through the G League. It'll be interesting to see how his, his progress gets made at a G League team versus going to Syracuse into the college game. He's good. Uh, He's good. putting his name into the draft next year. Exactly. He's going to get really good coaching because the G League is now, they're all, they're going to have 30 teams by next year. Uh, they have 27, I believe now. Uh, 30 teams within two years uh, will be in G League teams, all owned and run by NBA teams uh, with the systems of each team, highly competent coaches, uh, on those teams, you know, we have guys that are friends of yours like Stan Heath, who's a great college coach, you know, running the Orlando team, and Bob McKinnon Jr., who's a spectacular pro coach at the Dallas franchise, and the guys like Nick Nurse and uh, Jerry Stackhouse are coaching G League teams now, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the top assistant, uh, Finch, at uh, – New Orleans was a terrific coach uh, for the Rockets in their G League team. So we're, Eric Musselman had coached the G League team. So we're getting really good people that are in that league, and it's even going to get better. They're going to be like really good college shops, not the Power Five monetarily, but they're really going to be good jobs. But for the players, I, I wonder – if they're going to follow this path. I talked to two guys that were two-way players recently, Tony Bradley with the Utah Jazz, sure. and uh, who was a first-round pick, and Georges Niang, who's from Boston, who I know very well. And you know, speaking with both of them, as you well know, you, you, you're in the CBA at one time, yep. correct? Loved you're it. the uh, Loved head it. coach of a CBA team? Yes. Right, and that was our, our minor league team years ago, right? Mm -hmm. um, they just talked about the grind, and 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 Georges Niang had had the greatest, I thought, phrase. It's it's not what what you're capable of doing in the G League; it's what you can put up with. <laughs> and I just thought that was so true. It's these guys think because they're talented, they're going to go into that G League and make it to the NBA, and they may do that. 
but that league is such a grind and it's such a different happening than college. So it would be inter- interesting to see how Baisley does it and if anyone follows. Because well, we did I, have Terrence Ferguson. You know, he went to Australia. Sure. And he got he got paid much better than the G League. And, you know, he's going to find his way or found his way back into the NBA. And he, and he found his way because Billy Donovan coached him on Team USA, I believe. Yes. And uh, really knew him and liked him. And, uh, you know, and so, but he's a young guy. But I think the G League, as you know, similar to CBA, uh, there's there's guys that are in there that are men. Right. And they're not going to let no AT. Yeah, they're not going to. That's gonna, how they feed their family. As I often say, uh, Paul, to, uh, you know, to young players, and, you know, you can tell them to give me credit for it once and then you own it. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, uh, what happens in the, the difference between college and pro basketball is in college, guys leave school after, you know, four years. Pros, no one graduates. We got guys that are playing 15, 17 years. Even guys that are role players, you know, will hang on as long as they can because it's a fabulous way to make a living. It's a great lifestyle. And you don't want to give that up. And so there's no one graduating. So there's not an attrition of spots like we have in college where the seniors must leave. Uh, So... This is where it's and now these guys in the G League, it's so hard to get an NBA contract. I love two-way contracts. I think it's one of the best things we've ever done for the game. And I think that's where real scouting at the pro level has to evolve, where players that you don't take in the first two rounds, Antonio Blakeney I had at LSU, you know, as because we had a very bad record a year ago, everyone was down on him. And uh, I told one one team that had a little interest in him, I said, Antonio Blakeney is a pro scorer. Forget what he, you saw at LSU. He is a pro scorer. He's capable of getting 20 to 25 points in an NBA game. And they looked at me like, you know, I was crazy. But I coached him, so I knew. And right. I had known him since he was a sophomore in high school from Orlando. And, you know, and he this year was the leading scorer in the G League. He, you know, had the highest number of points ever in the G League, you know. And the guy, uh, you know, is capable, you know, he was capable. They brought him up to the Bulls to practice just so that he could give certain players on their team a run for it because he was that good. And so, but you didn't, couldn't see that at LSU. But there's certain style of play for an NBA player and a college player. It's almost a different sport, Paul, I feel. Yeah, no question about it. And and Blakeney was in our top uh, 15 coming out of high school, and you nailed it. He was a pro scorer and just needed the opportunity to see that. And the two-way contracts and the G League allows people to get looked at. Yes, and so I think that if you had to, we're going to make you the J-Bill as commissioner of the day. If you could do things <laughs> to help uh, the process, the high school, college, you know, pro deal – do you have any thoughts and recommendations of what you would love to see in a perfect world with no, you know, just thoughts that would help the game and the kids? Well, the first thought I have, because I spent so much time at the high school game, Brendan would be to have a uh, national shot clock mm. in the high school game. We, we need a shot clock, and we need a universal time. We have eight states right now in the United States that operate a shot clock. Uh, they all have different times ranging from – I believe um, 30 seconds to 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. So a national shot clock with a universal time. Uh, our summer programs, the um, sneaker companies do a fabulous job getting shot clocks for kids to play with. And, and I think that really, look, I could go on and on for hours about why our game needs a shot clock. But when I tell you we're the only game at the teenage level, the high school level in the world that doesn't have a shot clock, that has organized basketball. Um, that makes me shake my head. And so the, the, the clock will do so many things for the game itself. We may not score more, but we'll have more possessions. We'll have guys more involved in the game versus just standing around doing nothing. Uh, coaches actually will coach more because now they have to coach, uh, as you know, they have to coach a, mm-hmm. a quality shot every possession, which happens in practice. They get to coach, you know, the 
end of the quarter, two for ones. Uh, they get to coach uh, short clock situations, side out of bounds, baseline out. Mm-hmm. I can go on and on. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the response has been great. Everybody wants a shot clock, but the National Federation of High School Basketball hasn't adopted it yet. So each state that decides that they want it, they have to um, put in for it. And once they do that, here's the downside. Once a state decides, okay, we're going to have a shot clock, but the Federation hasn't adopted it, that state loses some voting privileges, which which I think is, you know, that that's, you know. Good almost, thing our country's not and, going backwards in, in our yeah, thinking I know. of I mean, democracy. So if somebody yeah. goes against what you say, you're not going to let them vote anymore. Um, and, and I know there's an economic uh, problem in every state and in, in every household in America, in every school. Uh, but we have eight states that have paid for shot clocks. You pay a one-time fee and. Uh, we have, you know, every state has its affluent sections and its uh, less than affluent sections. And uh, somehow, some way, they've afforded a shot clock. The shot clocks are, ch- are cheaper uh, now than ever. And if you get a good sponsor, um, you can get someone to sponsor the shot clocks. And then they can put their signage all over that shot clock. Sure. The signage in every gym, almost. Uh, so why not have somebody just, you know, come up with the money for a shot clock and it will really change the uh, high school game. It'll, you know, guy, guys that could never play in college, and it's not for the guys just going to college. It's for the guys that never going to play in college. I talk to them all the time. I said, well, when you like to play with a shot clock, they go, we'd love to play with a shot clock. Yeah. I said, but you may not play in college. I don't care. I want to play with a shot clock. I, I want to get the ball back, and yeah. I want to see if the other team can get the ball from us. You know, when <laughs> Pretty the, nice idea. It's a great idea. You know, and, and you know, our – FIBA, of course, our international governing body, uh, you know, having traveled the world basketball-wise, I go to China, I, I go to Middle East, you know, Russia, and you see 14, 15-year-old kids playing with a 24-second clock. There you go. Yeah, 24-second. Yep. Women, 24-second. And Jay Billis, our dear friend, uh, his big thing about shot clock is, is, I think, very profound. It teaches you and basketball to make quick decisions. And that is, yes. a, to me, is phenomenal. The game is quick thinking. And the re- only reason we don't have a shot clock, I proudly say, sarcastically, it's because of coaches. They think they can control the game. They have this missed mindset of, uh, if a team has more talent and we play with a 24-second clock, there's no way I can win. That is absolutely the most absurd thing I've ever heard. You know, and it, I find it interesting that every football program in America has a scoreboard and then they have a clock for the plays. And That's there's right. no problem finding that out. But all of a sudden for basketball, we, we can't do one. It's it's a shame and hopefully. But I, I couldn't agree more. I think that is a huge thing. And that's one of the areas. Others, Paul. Uh, just for the high school game, one more point. I'd like to put the restricted arc in. I don't mm-hmm. know how much it costs to paint a, a circle uh, on a court, but I think that would help the you know the block charge. In Boston and Jer- in Boston and Jersey, it's a lot because of our unions, but uh, other areas it should not be expensive <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, I, I think that for one, and, and then as you start to move up in levels, um, you know, when I look at the the college game, I think the shot clock's going to go closer to the NBA clock. I, I love the rules that we've put into the game so far. And, 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 and touching back onto the Condoleezza Rice report and some of the suggestions that they made, but I like the fact that, you know, the elite high school players now can or will get, or hopefully get, I should say, more information, you know, whether it's from agents or the NBA, uh, certified agents that you have to go through the NBA to sit down with to explain where you are in the game. Uh, so many players get so much bad advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and that advice is filtering in um, through, you know, third parties all the time. That happens every single day. So now you get to hear from the, the horse's mouth about what that league that you want to get to actually thinks about you. You know, the NBA reports that we give to the college kids that enter the draft. And, you know, now the NBA will, will tell the – elite high school players what they think of them because if the rule does get changed obviously the the nba scouts now are back in the high school game they're back to the peach gym they're back to the summer events um yeah and so they get a chance to evaluate the players that they're going to draft 
and I think that's good because we're only talking about a dozen or so guys, um, maybe at the two most. dozen that yeah. at the most that you know are actually going to go one and done. But that other twelve, we'll say out of twenty four, that they're going to be ready to go maybe into the NBA draft a year or two or three later. So they'll be able to get info. I think information is so important because families never been through the recruiting process. Sure. Now they're trying to go through the whether or not their son should be a professional. Good call. So why not get the, get the advice from the professionals and e- nobody else? Excellent. I love that. And that's 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 a great point. Anything else that comes to mind for you? Um, no, the- just just those things. Uh, those those things really kind of stick out to me in terms of uh, what I would like to. Have Here's changed. one last thing I wish our men would do. Uh, I'm, I always get embarrassed when our women's college game is way ahead of our men's. And it is. And uh, from the thinking of uh, the men's college basketball is the only league in the world that doesn't have four quarters. Yep. Yep. High school, high school basketball does every international game, you know, but why don't we women's game went to it. Uh, The other thing they adopted was in the last minute of play, being able to advance the ball to up court. You know, and it's such a cool thing to do and yeah. to, to, to see kids, you know, have a chance to win the game. I think it's just powerful stuff. But, you know, uh, as I said, you know, I know how I got through school at Montclair State and I know how you got through Salem State. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing wrong every now and then looking at the other guy's paper and figuring out if they did something right. And and just copy what the pros have done for crying out loud. Copy what Phoebe has done. They've done a great job, you know. And so I think I think that's one of the things that, you know, please just, it's not it's not rocket science. Just do and do what's best for kids, not what's best for coaches. Yes. And I, and in that, the, the high school game, the coaches don't want the change from mm-hmm. Not the shot clock, and you're right. One of the biggest uh, fallacies is that if you know if you have more talent, uh, that means you're automatically going to win. Well, look, without a shot clock, that down can never make a comeback. So you you need a shot clock to change possession to have comebacks. But I got to ask you a question then. Yes, sir. So you want the ball advanced, and you don't, you want to eliminate the uh, length of court play for the college game? Uh, yes, but you uh, it can only be done if you have a timeout. Yes. Yeah, you have to have a timeout to do that, and I and I think right. and I because right. I I can cite all kinds of instances where the, our best college coaches, uh, Izzo, Self, uh, K, Dean Smith, it doesn't matter, you know where if you got if you got two seconds to go and you got the ball full court, I don't care if you got a great play, chances are it won't work. Whereas if you got that ball side out of bounds, we saw everyone is buzzing from Saturday where the great Brad Stevens, the coach of Butler comes up with a play that was so genius. And all of a sudden he's the star of the game. And I think, you know, because he gave his kids a chance to win and that's what competition's about. And so again, if WNBA players, if, if college players, pro players do it, it's tested that it's good for game because it makes the game more exciting. And that's what it's about. It, I'm taking it out of really the coach's hands and putting it into the kids and the fans' hands. And I think that's exciting. You know, that's just me. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, great point. But, but, you know, and, and, and then, you know, my friend Ty Lu, with seven seconds ago, he says, "No, nah, I, I got inbounded to run. Let him reel it up." And I, I and 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 my high school coach Yubi Brown says the other night when he's taking the ball out, he says, "I don't agree. I, I think they're going to lose three seconds by taking it out full court." And I'm saying, "Right on." My wife, who was my wife when I worked for Yubi with the Hawks, says. Even Yubi's right, and I said, "Well, he, he always was, honey." And 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 then he comes out and she he makes the shot, and she says, "You and Yubi were wrong." I said. And you too, honey, you know, so, you know, it, it, it makes for great basketball where you can make a decision whether you want to advance it or not. That's all. It's sure. not a must. Yeah. 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 And so, and, and I think that's, that's what made that game great. You know, here's a game, you know, in a 4-0 series that all of a sudden is to talk of basketball because the guy made a shot for the ages. 
you know, and that's great. That's good for the game, in my opinion. So, yeah, it, it gives the team a chance to a real chance to win. Yeah, Paul June, uh, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen or so. I will meet you in Charlottesville, Virginia. We will have lunch together. And a big thank you and hug for uh, doing this today. You, I could talk to all day. You're fabulous for the game, and you do so much for kids. And I appreciate you, my friend. Well, Brendan, thank you. And, and really, thanks for having me on. And I, I know one thing. You've helped myself and, and so many coaches in the game. And, and I love what you do at coaching you. I know you're at the NBA camp. And any, any coach that you know has been doing this for a long time or anybody who's going to be a first-year head coach, you know, I thought about this yesterday when I took a walk after we talked and we were going to talk today. You'd be one of the first phone calls that I would make to bring in to help me, you know, coach again or somebody that's, you know, maybe stagnant in coaching because you bring so much perspective. You bring so much experience. You're one of the most respected, you know, co- coaches in the game, whether it's college or pro. And, oh, you're the best, man. I appreciate it. No, I thought about that last night. I was walking and I said, what if I, I I said why wouldn't everybody just call you, you know that getting a job uh, if they know you I mean just these guys getting jobs they think they know what they're doing until that first loss comes and that first kid you know gives them trouble and the first booster starts to you know get under their skin then it becomes a much more difficult <laughs> job than it used to be. Yeah, you know uh, I really appreciate that and you know what. That's one of the reasons why we do. When Kevin Eastman and I started this about ten years ago, that was what we that was what we wanted to do: try to help and influence coaches to help them be better. And uh, we're trying to take it to another level. And our podcasts are one. And we and 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 thank you again for sharing with all these coaches because it, we have fun doing it. You and I, because we're friends and everything, we're just having a conversation. But there's some real serious stuff here about. Uh, your game and decision making and teaching and influencing the responsibility of why you coach is just overpowering and overwhelming at times and that, and that's what I think yep. we both love about the game. No, you're 100. We're more influential and we're more of a role model as coaches than we think we are. Brother, you're the best. Thanks. All I'll right, see buddy. you in about Thank a month. You. All right. See you, pal. See you. Bye bye. Powerful, powerful time with Paul, and I think you will agree. Uh, some of the ideas he has for helping the game, helping kids. Uh, you know, he is very, having been a very successful college coach, working for some great head coaches as well as being a hell of a head coach himself. He now has this incredible experience of seeing the very best high school players in the country perform. Not once, not twice, but many, many times. And he's able to have an idea of when he sees kids who are going to be the next pros. And I think that's really incredible. And I love every time he shares and visits with me. And so I thought it was important to do it. But Paul Biancardi, a huge thank you uh, from ESPN uh, as in charge of their high school recruiting. Uh, also, if you get a chance, go to his website, Paul coachpaulbiancardi.com, and uh, you'll see he's got great events out there. Uh, for high school players and stuff that really want to get better. He's a terrific teacher and coach, as well as a great evaluator. So he's a guy that you also would love to have speak to your team or group because he knows what it takes to achieve a level of excellence. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.